Hello, swimmers, and welcome to this week's episode of Torpedo Swim Talk. Today's guest is triple Olympic gold medalist and the first man to break 50 seconds for the 100 metre freestyle, Jim Montgomery. Hi, Jim. Welcome to the podcast. Yeah, thanks for inviting me. Oh, you're very welcome. Where where are you coming to us from today? Uh, Dallas, Texas, USA. Fabulous. And how long have you lived there in Dallas? Uh, I moved down uh, from uh, Wisconsin down to uh, Dallas in 1979. Okay. Was was that for um, college or was that after your swimming career? Yeah, after I uh, swam at Indiana University under uh, Doc Councilman. Uh, I moved back to uh, Madison for about four or five months looking for uh, employment because uh, back then they didn't pay swimmers like they do today yeah. and um, decided um, that I'd move down to uh, Texas for the warmer weather. How did you get into swimming when you were a youngster? Well, uh, growing up in um, Madison, Wisconsin, uh, in the summertime, uh, we actually uh, lived um, right across from the biggest lake in Madison. And uh, we had a club swimming pool, country club swimming pool, about a block and a half away. So used to, every every kid in the community, uh, just like in Australia, you know, you need to learn how to swim right away for safety. So I remember, you know, really jumping in and uh, swimming out to uh, – my mom, you know, teaching me how to swim when I was probably two or three years old. And then from there, um, you know, every summer uh, with your uh, friends, you were at the swimming pool or at the lake all 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 day, all summer, you know, just uh, learning how to, you know, swim and, and play and, and get comfortable in the water. And from there, uh, when I was seven, I joined a little summer club team at the country club. And uh, got my first taste of, you know, swimming a, a 25 here in the States, 25 yards, you know, meters uh, freestyle at, at the local co- um, cl- uh, summer club teams and did that for a couple of summers. And then at the age of nine, uh, I was probably driving my mom crazy. Um, <laughs> she took me down to the uh, YMCA. Uh, when I was nine and she had me try out for the Y team. And that was one of those things where you swam one length of the pool in front of the coaches and you either were on the team or off the team. So I guess I impressed the coaches enough that um, I was went to um, the Y team and really swam for the Y in the wintertime only here in the States from like nine to 14. Um, okay. And the other time, other times of the year, I played all different kind of sports, football, uh, baseball, basketball, uh, you name it, um, golf, water ski, hockey in the winter. Um, and then I just, you know, swam for the Y in the uh, in the wintertime for about four or five months. Okay. Uh, and then uh, really at 14, um, I had a, a good Y coach that approached me and um, said uh, that he saw a lot of talent in me and uh, thought that if I dropped all my other sports and I started swimming year-round that I could become really good. Um, and his name was uh, Pat Berry. And um, 
and really taught me the basics along with the other kids on stroke mechanics and and how to you know uh, train hard and efficiently and in, in practices and stuff. So I switched over to um, swimming full time the summer I was 14, and I was uh, fortunate enough the next year to um, the University of Wisconsin hired a new swim coach named Jack Pettinger that was actually Doc Councilman's assistant at Indiana University. And uh, back then, uh, people know the history um, of Doc. You know, he had some of the best, you know, swimmers and teams in the world back then. Um, so Jack came to the University of Wisconsin, and um, I got to train with the club and uh, with the university men um, starting at age 14 and 15, which was really <clears> – <throat> quite remarkable for Madison, Wisconsin, because I think it was one of the first 50-meter pools in the state. It was um, outdoors, and you could only use it in the summertime. And from there, I got uh, really good really fast. So that's just kind of a quick um, swim uh, synopsis of how I got started. Yes. And so obviously during high school, you got better and then obviously were offered a – how many college scholarships did you get offered? Well, uh, you know, I pretty much um, could have gone, you know, to any top swim school. I got recruited, you know, by the top, you know, four or five swim schools in the country. Um, at the time, Indiana had won six college championships in a row where I ended up going. Um, the University of Wisconsin um, – you know, the head coach was my club coach. So that was one of the toughest decisions I made in my life to to tell him that I was going to Indiana and not the University of Wisconsin. And yes, then, um, yeah, and then I got uh, heavily recruited out in California um, at UCLA and USC were the other top schools. Um, there was a couple others, but I just, you know, basically, um, you know, could have, um, I had good grades. You know, I could get in, get in uh, a full scholarship for at any swim school. Wow! And so, was the dis- decisive decision was because Doc Councilman was at Indiana? Yeah, I mean, uh, you know, I did a, a recruiting trip there, and and I thought, um, you know, that um, I was going to be swimming with uh, Olympians, uh, world record holders. Um, he had a great team coming in my freshman year. Um, so I, I figured, um, you know, if you train with the best, you're going to be the best. And uh, so that, um, you know, choosing Indiana was was definitely the best move at the time. And and I finally had, you know, I had two of the best uh, coaches in the world, Doc Councilman during the college season. And then I go home and train in my home in Madison, Wisconsin, with uh, Jack Pettinger, my club coach. So it was great. It was fantastic. That's amazing. And what what was Doc Councilman like? Well, um, he was probably the smartest individual I ever knew in my life. Uh, He was just, you know, an amazing um, scientist. Um, He, he, uh, you know, developed, uh, you know, wrote the, the uh, um, the uh, the book um, <laughs> yeah in 1968 yeah. Um, he um, 
you know, developed a pace clock. Uh, he developed lane lines. Um, he developed um, uh, biokinetic uh, swim benches, stuff like that. Um, he basically was kind of the father of swimming, you know, scientific swimming back then. And um, the other thing is, is, you know, Doc had a great personality, a great sense of humor. You don't find that many individuals with that much brain power that had uh, that much personality and connection with, you know, training young men, you know, hundreds of them and being really successful at it. Um, I got to know Doc really well, um, especially on the road. He'd take me to uh, clinics all over the country and, um, and we just had a great time. I mean, he was just, like I say, just a, a very extremely intelligent, personable um, uh, individual. And his wife, Marge, was, was the same. Um, they would invite the swimmers in, into their home um, all the time, you know, and he uh, had huge meals. And, and Doc just didn't care about your swimming background. He really wanted to know personally what was going on with me and all the swimmers um, and, and, uh, and was basically kind of a second father figure. He, he sounds like an amazing man. What I, what I wanted to ask you about was um, – Obviously, amazingly, you're the, the first man to break 50 seconds for the 100 freestyle. What year did that happen? And let's talk about that. Tell me about that experience. Uh, Montreal, 1976 Olympics. Um, one of the greatest um, uh, men's swim team of all time. Um, and uh, going into the... Um, into the Olympics, uh, just to get uh, on the U.S. squad uh, in the Olympic trials um, was uh, actually harder to qualify um, and get the top three spots than it was actually um, in the, uh, on, to qualify for the final eight in the, in the Olympic Games. It was that competitive on that team. Wow. Uh, so um, the 100-meter free was um, – eight-day meet, um, and the men's 100-meter free was on the um, finals, was on the last night, second to last event. And uh, so, and I had to also, I qualified in the 200 free, which was the first day was the preliminaries. And then they had the, uh, um, they didn't have semifinals for the 200 free. They just had prelims and finals back then. And then the next night, um, you you swam the finals of the 200, and then uh, I swam a couple of anchors on the relays that won gold medals. I took third place in the 200 free, um, got uh, touched out by my two American uh, teammates, uh, Bruce Furness, won the gold um, and was uh, um, touched touched uh, me and John Neighbor out. Uh, by two tenths of a second, and then John Neighbor, who qualified eighth, that won you know four gold medals back then in the backstroke and in the relays. Um, he touched me out by five one hundreds, so oh, I earned sure. the bronze. But the Americans oh, swept the event, um, which was yeah. um, really catapulted us um, into you know uh, you know greatness for that team and stuff. So by the eighth day, I think I was. Um, in the 100, you did do prelims. You did do uh, uh, semifinals. Um, I went ahead and um, the day before and broke the um, world record in the semifinals 
I wasn't even thinking about breaking it. Um, because, you know, I didn't want to go out that hard the first 50 meters in the semis, you know, because <clears throat> I pretty much, you know, just had to make sure that I was uh, could bring it home and, and beat uh, beat the heat, the heat of swimmers coming back. So I broke the, my own world record by two tenths in the in the prelims or semifinals. So I was feeling really good and I was uh, the, the uh, favorite to win the gold medal in the finals that night. Um, really in the Olympics, the last thing in my mind was breaking 50 seconds. Um, uh, you usually have, if you're fortunate to have one shot at winning a gold medal, um, in any race in the Olympics. And, uh, so the time was really secondary at that time. I just wanted to, uh, you know, win the, win the race and, uh, you know, breaking and going 49.9 was, you know, just happened. Yeah. Um, and I was just, you know, one, I was like totally relieved because, uh, you know, holding your concentration and and your physical ability over eight days is extremely challenging. So I think I swam about uh, nine times. And you figure someone like Michael Phelps that won, what, eight gold medals? I think he had to swim like 17 or 18 times to do that, which I think is just unbelievable. I can't, I could imagine swimming, you know, 17 times um, during that span and winning all those medals. I was exhausted, you know, just, uh, you know, swimming the two relays and the two events and stuff like that. So one, I was totally, uh, I don't think I could have swam another stroke and, and mentally I was just was, you know, I put everything into that into that race, and it was done. And I was just, you know, relieved that it was over with, and was really happy um, that I could uh, come through for all my coaches and my parents and my family and all my friends and stuff, and that helped me train so hard and supported me to, you know, to win that uh, all those medals and and do that well as I did. Um, I had a lot of support, so. Um, the only thing on the 49.9 is Doc Councilman was the head coach at the time. And, and afterwards, um, you know, after coming out of the media room and stuff like that, Doc came up to me and he said, you know, you don't know it now, but that 49.9 is going to mean more to you um, uh, later on in your life than you, you, uh, you, you won't realize it, but it will mean a lot to you. And I was just so like tired and, and happy to, to win. Um, you know, I was going, okay, Doc, and, and he was right. You know, everybody kind of knows, you know, Jim Montgomery for, you know, being the first person to break 50 seconds. But um, getting up on the blocks that day, that was the furthest thing from my mind. Getting the gold medal was the, was the most important. That was just kind of gravy. Yes. Well, I mean, it's a wonderful thing to be known for, but, I, yeah, I can imagine at the time it was all about the race. And the gold medal, I would have felt exactly the same. How, how did you feel standing behind the blocks before that final? Like, how did you deal with the nerves and the expectations from everyone? Well, um, you know, I just kind of, I kind of call it uh, kind of beyond conf confidence. Um, right. I, you know, pretty much trained and rehearsed that race stroke for stroke, you know, 50 seconds, you know, for years. 
So um, I would think I really wasn't that nervous because um, I was really locked in and focused in on exactly um, what I was going to do. And I pretty much had in my mind that um, before I even got up on the blocks that I already had won the race. You know, the gun didn't even have to go uh, go off. Um, I just had to, um, um, you know, just get in and swim. And I knew I was going to win the race. Um, you know, I wasn't going to make a mistake. Um, I had, you know, um, visualized and swam every stroke of that race, probably until I was like, you know, 15 or 16 years old. So, you know, to me, the, the gun didn't even have to go off. I knew I was going to win. Wow, that's an amazing, um, amazing sort of state of mind to get yourself in. But just that mental rehearsal and the practice, I think we can all learn a lot from that. What kind of training yeah. did you do with um, Doc Councilman leading up to that? Obviously, you swam the 200 as well. And were you, you mentioned the two relays. Was that the 4x100 and the 4x200 freestyle relay that you were doing? Yeah, as well? they had a 4x100 medley relay and a 4x200. Um, uh, Tragically, they uh, that was the only Olympics they took out the men's four by one hundred free relay, which is a, a story in itself. Um, basically, um, the uh, Russians and the Eastern Bloc countries went in and lobbied the uh, FINA and the Olympic Committee um, to take out the um, uh, um, a lot of swim events because they knew the Americans were going to win them and stuff like that. So they uh, they lobbied to uh, take out um, uh, you know, uh, the, the men's and women's 200 IM and then the women's uh, four by 200 free and the men's four by 100 free, which is, you know, really back then and still now one of the premier, the premier swim event in the Olympics is the men's four by 100 free relay. So, yeah. And I was, it was a shame, you know, I was, that was definitely a fourth gold medal for me and for the team, because um, in the 100 meter free in the finals, we took first, second and fifth. So we were we'd be heavily favored and stuff. Um, so um, that was that was pretty tough not to be able to, you know, swim that relay. Um, getting back. Uh, tell me your question again. I, I kind of lost. <laughs> um, I just oh, was the training. The training that you, you did for the, the hundred and two. No, that that was that's fine. I, I'm sorry, I'm, I'm having I'm having a senior moment here. <laughs> <laughs> that's fine. On the tra- all fine. Yeah, um uh on the training um at Indiana uh in college, um, you know, basically uh um the uh if you were in the sprint lanes, you know, you trained in the morning, maybe an hour and fifteen minutes, not more than an hour and a half. Um, and then you always had to, and I had to do that, like, uh, say three times a week, uh, weekdays a week, you know, Monday, Wednesday, Friday, um, doc just said, you know, you can do it three days in a row, but the sprinters got to train three mornings a week. And if there wasn't a meet on Saturday, you know, we had a big training session, you know, Saturday morning, but you had to be at all the sessions in the afternoon. And uh, you could either come from, you know, t- uh, two to four or four to six, depending upon your class schedule and stuff. So I'd be training uh, nine, or ten, nine, or, nine or ten times a week at Indiana. 
and you know somewhere between you know uh, you know six seven thousand back then yards in the afternoon and maybe you know uh, four thousand three or four thousand in the morning, which wasn't that um, the morning was kind of like a warm up for the afternoon. Uh, the sum- summertime without school, um, the training um, was really heavy. Um, you're talking two hours and 15 minutes in the morning. You know, we'd get there at like 6.45 till like 9. Um, and then uh, come back in the afternoon, uh, probably from like uh, 4 to four to 6, um, and do another session there. And, uh, you know, growing up, um, when you were 14, 15, 16, 17, you were basically every, every, every kid was a distance swimmer. And back then in the, in the mid, uh, early and mid seventies, it was, you know, distance, uh, generated speed. And it was kind of like everybody f- following Mark Schubert and Mission Viejo and doing all this mega distance and stuff. Yes. Um, so from 14 to 17 or 18, I trained more of like a 200, 400 swimmer because everybody trained like that. So I got really good at the 200 yards, you know, and 200 meters. So, you know, I didn't really start becoming a a sprinter until I was probably 19. And um, what happened was, is my uh, sophomore year, I won the 200-yard freestyle at the uh, college championships my freshman year. And, uh, and I came back that summer and um, I said, I really want to swim a really good 400 meters. Um, I think I can break four minutes. And back then, the year before, the world record was like 358 or something. So I trained really hard that summer um, and uh, to go the, the 400 and drop down to the 200. Well, I overtrained. It didn't. Um, I had a, a really mediocre nationals, and you know, a qualified for you know, like a, a, a meet against the East Germans afterwards and stuff. But it really didn't, really didn't um, um, swim well. But I really gained a lot of knowledge on how Jim Montgomery needed to train from then on. Um, if I didn't have that season where I was off, I don't think I would have gone that fast and won the gold medal in 76. Um, that was 1974. And I came back in 1975. And then I started training more like uh, 200 meters dropped down to 100 meters. And that made a big difference um, in my whole swimming um, training and philosophy and stuff. So, you know, the next year, you know, I, I broke uh, lower the world record uh, from, you know, 51.1 down to 50.5 you know, that summer and, and had a really good summer. And then that catapulted me into 76 and going from 50.5 down to 49.9. So I actually dropped over a, a second, you know, in my 100-meter free just by training uh, differently. Yeah. That, that's an amazing drop in that time. Yeah, it really was. And I think, yeah. I think uh, you know, I actually, I came back in 1978 um, and was training uh, for the world championships. And I was actually training better in 78 and faster than I was in 76. And I was uh, a year after I graduated from Indiana University, I wanted to 
go over and go to the uh, world championships. So I went over to the third world championships over in West Berlin and I was really, really training well and stuff. It just so happened though, at that time, um, my father, um, in 77 up through 78 was terminally ill with uh, cancer. Uh, so, um, really, you know, when he uh, passed away in the spring of 78, um, it really kind of took a lot of mo- uh, motivation um, out of me and my training after that. Um, uh, so, I mean, I, I swam um, and I think I took second in the 100 meter free there in uh, the world championships and and won a couple of um, gold medals on the relays and stuff like that. But, um, you know, I think I think I was could have gone actually even uh, faster in 78 than I did in 76. And then really after that, um, uh, the uh, the uh, motivation and, and wanting to keep, you know, training on that intensity and stuff. Um, it was time to move on, find a job, make some money, um, you know, because we we're all still amateurs then and yes. stuff like that. So I kind of hung up my suit um, after that and uh, and basically, you know, didn't swim for about eight or nine months. I was kind of a little burned out after that. Yes. And then obviously the U.S. boycotted the um, 1980 Olympics, which – if you hadn't had these kind of things happen, you probably would have headed through to those next Olympics. Yeah, I think uh, all the older swimmers, what was I, like 25 at the time, which isn't that old now. <laughs> These guys yeah. are swimming, what, into their late late 20s and 30s now just because yes. all the, the money that this, that's out there. Yeah. Um, but, you know, back then, you know, you graduated from college and, you know, you had a full scholarship. And then if you hung around and could swim for a year after that and support yourself, great. But then, you know, I'd say 95%, you know, went on and had to get uh, a real job and, and join the real world, you know, back then. So 80, once the, they announced the boycott in what, February, you know, Jimmy Cotta, um, you know, the older swimmers, uh, you know, including me, were just uh, no no real motivation to, to really train and, and, and go to some glorified Olympic trials and stuff. So I don't know if the Australians went to Moscow or not. I know the, the Brits went. But uh, I don't know if you can if you recall if Australia sent a team or they or they boycotted Moscow. Now, I think at the time I was. I was quite young, but it is the first Olympics I, I really remember. Um, our, our government advised not to go, and there was there was some swimmers like, for instance, Tracy Wickham, who was, um, you know, I think gold medals at world championships and whatnot. She decided not to go, but some Australians did go, um, but it wasn't a full team. So Yeah, okay. Yeah. Yeah, there was one. Yeah, we. I think we did have one or two gold medalists from that um, Olympics, but obviously it wasn't fully attended. So, no. Yeah, it's a bit of a, a bleep in our in the Olympic history, I think. Yeah. Anyways, uh, that I, I back then I just you know you you, you hung up, hung it up, and and became a a civilian, a person with a real job. <laughs> what well, What did you go into? What um, profession? 
Well, you know, my whole life has been revolving around swimming. Um, as I said, you know, I kind of quit and and didn't do much for about, you know, eight or nine months. And, um, and then, you know, one night I just, when I finally uh, moved down to uh, Dallas, Texas, and uh, became uh, uh, work for the Hyatt Hotels, which is a big chain here in the in uh, internationally and in this country, and had tried my lot at um, hotel management, and I found out after about uh, ten or eleven months of that that I really didn't want to be a hotel manager, so I quit. <laughs> yeah, I quit and uh, and really didn't do much for about eight months, and then you know one night I just thought, well. You know, I, I, I got a business degree, you know, and, and I like to coach. And uh, why don't I, you know, start a master swim team? And I had one, one um, uh, master's small team here in Dallas, and he encouraged me to start a team um, here in, in central Dallas. So I, you know, went up and posted a, a notice on the outdoor um, um, Southern Methodist University outdoor 50-meter pool and said, I'm going to start a master's team, you know, and I started it really as a hobby. And uh, the first night I rented some pool time at a local high school and uh, we got started at like eight o'clock at night. Uh, and, um, and the first night, seven people showed up and, uh, and I started training them like it was Indiana University. And I was kind of <laughs> wondering why people were like saying they had to leave and go home. <laughs> early, you know, and so I kind of figured it out, you know, hey, these are adults, they got jobs, they got kids. Um, so I toned it down. But all of a sudden, you know, within like a, a month and a half, two months, I had like 30, 30 adults swimming. And then I had to, <coughs> excuse me, expand it to a morning workout. I got over at another high school and all of a sudden, you know, I had, you know, uh, 90 or 100 swimmers. Um, and then, you know, uh, you know, uh, four or five years later, I've got all these coaches and I've got like, uh, say 400 swimmers and, uh, I'm still kind of treating it as a hobby. And, uh, I was still doing like swim clinics, uh, overseas in, in Japan and, and Europe and, and, uh, you know, uh, making some money on that. And I had a, my own swimwear line out of Italy uh, under the label Deanna Sport and stuff. So all of a sudden it's like 1985 and I got 400 swimmers and I'm going, well, is this going to be a hobby or do I want to turn this into a, a full-time business? So that's in 85, 86, I decided, well, I want to become a professional swim bum and become a master swim coach. And, uh, and the program uh, grew and grew. And by the late um, 80s, um, you know, we were pretty well known all over the, not just the U.S., but the world. It was called Lone Star Masters, which in Texas, it's the Lone Star State. And uh, so it was very successful. And I've been doing it for 38 years. And it's kind of a couple of times it's gone through transitions um, of, of new names and, and different coaches and a different partner and stuff like that. Um, but I still enjoy doing it and I still have a squad. Um, obviously, uh, COVID has really impacted, um, every, all the swimming and master swimming around the world. 
So we're just getting back up to it. But, you know, before last March, you know, I had always had every year, you know, 450, 500 swimmers and probably 20, 25 coaches, um, you know, doing that. Um, and that's um, been a real life passion for me. But at the same time, um, I was also um, um, managing uh, a high school, a private high school aquatic center and staff that I did for 17 years. And then five years ago, um, I started my own Jim Montgomery swim school um, for um, for kids starting from age six months up to age 12. So um, that's uh, developed into a really nice family business where my daughter, Ellis, is the general manager and me and my wife are kind of the owners. And uh, that's been uh, fairly successful, except, you know, last year, 2020 was pretty tough. Yes. So I basically, you know, I've been a swim bum my whole life. <laughs> There's nothing wrong with that. <laughs> no. How, how, um, what distance is the um, swim school that you, are, you own? Pardon? Like what, what distance is the, uh, the swim school, the pool of the swim oh, school? Um, got a uh, a four-lane, 25-yard pool or, yes. you know, you guys would have meters. Um, where we um, we actually do um, lanes across, you know, 30 feet across the pool and do lessons that way. And then we can turn it around and do, you know, like uh, like a pre-competitive swim groups and teams can use it, you know, going 25 yards, four lanes. And we do that every day. And then we've got a, a teaching pool that's a little smaller that um, – it's probably, uh, you know, um, you know, seven meters across and, you know, um, um, probably 15 meters, you know, long, you know, teaching pool that's a, a warm water, you know, pool and stuff. And we, you know, we're open seven days a week, you know, every morning and every, uh, well, uh, Saturday and Sunday morning. And uh, Monday through Friday, every morning and every night. And I basically, I lease it out or have lessons, you know, 12 hours a day. So I've actually seen uh, some of the, the top um, swim schools in Australia because, you know, um, that's kind of where it all started. And the uh, uh, Swim School Association in Australia is just, you know, A, A1 top rate, super people that run their schools. Um, and, uh, 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 Forbes Carlisle, everybody knows Forbes in Australia. And, uh, and I visited a couple of his swim schools and, and know the owners and, and that staff really well. And very, very impressive. Yeah. I feel, I feel like the swim school set up in Australia is very good. And I mean, it's our culture that we we're, we're an island surrounded by water everyone learns to swim here and yeah. i feel like that um, yeah that's part of it. and especially on the on the east coast um here where i live all up and down the east coast yeah. it's a very big part of our culture yes what i was going to ask you i know you you were the um, founder of the first masters swimming club your dallas Masters swim program uh, do you find time to swim and compete these days as well, or are you mainly on the coaching deck? 
<laughs> I'm doing both. Um, You're doing both. <laughs> actually, I've gotten into the last, say, uh, 20 years, I've really gotten into the open water swimming and um, have taken groups and myself all around the world to do open water. Um, got, you know, uh, kind of burned out on, uh, you know, pool competition. Um, I did a lot of Masters World Championships, you know, back in the 80s, you know, um, up through the 90s, um, mid-90s, late-90s, and then really got interested in open water. So um, when I do, I do uh, train, like, say, jump in and uh, do my own training twice a week. It's not that far, maybe, you know, 2,500 meters at a time. Um, it's, you know, purely uh, aerobic. Um, uh, part of that is just because of uh, physically, I don't have a whole lot of cartilage left in my shoulders. No, and, yeah. uh, and with uh, age, uh, arthritis and stuff like that. So, you know, I, I pretty much just uh, keep it at um, a low level of intensity. Um, but I really enjoy, you know, just, you know, swimming twice a week with my master's group or, you know, with a friend or something like that. And, and train for open water. Um, I've taken uh, groups, several groups to Australia where we've, you know, trained uh, off of Bondi Beach in the Bondi Iceberg Pool. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> A couple of years ago, <laughs> excuse me, we did the big swim, <laughs> excuse me, north of Sydney. We did that one. And then, <clears throat> I'm sorry. Um, okay. uh, the year before, uh, we did the Bondi to, uh, Bond, uh, Bondi to Bronti Beach Swim. And yes. I, still, I still like to bring a group over uh, once a year, you know, to do some open water training and, and do a swim. Um, I think, you know, Sydney is one of the great international cities, you know, to be in. And I really love being in there and, and have uh, two really – uh, super um, Australian mates that I've known forever. Um, uh, Neil Rogers, who had been, who was on two um, Australian Olympic teams in 72 and 76, and another uh, good swimmer from Australia, Guy Farrell. And oh, yeah. uh, those, those are two, two of my best buddies over there. Um, okay. But I've taken, you know, uh, group swimming through the, the Greek Kaladies, um, you know, to uh, Japan, um, you know, uh, the, the French Riviera, um, you know, so I've, I've traveled all over the world and, and started doing open water swims. Well, that's, fa that's fabulous. I mean, the, um, that Bondi to Bronte swim that you've mentioned, that's a, a beautiful swim, isn't it? It's very scenic looking at those beautiful cliffs as you, uh, swim around through to the Bronte beach. Yep. Yeah, I can hand, hang out on uh, Bondi Beach uh, every year for a couple of weeks. <laughs> yeah, it's a great location. <laughs> yeah. Fantastic. So you don't have any more plans to swim um, any more FINA world titles? Um, not uh, – no, I'm, I'm done with the, uh, the pool competition. If I do show up. I, like I have the last couple of times um, was uh, Budapest, Hungary. I think I just swam one event, 
And if I do swim, it'll probably be the open water one, you know, the 3K. Oh, yes. yes. And stuff like that. But as far as, you know, um, you know, sprinting and where kind of my shoulders are, um, I just, um, those days are over. But, um, you know, I'd rather uh, swim open water in beautiful places. So do you swim your open water races with wet, a wetsuit? Or do you just uh, go? No, never, never. Uh, Never with a wetsuit, you know, if it's, you know, whatever the, you know, if it's, you know, 13, 14 Celsius or whatever, you know, I'm kind of a purist. I'm going to get in and I think the most I would probably do is kind of a, um, a neoprene cap would be the most that I'd probably wear, but I, I'd never wear a wetsuit. You know, the coldest I probably swum in is... Um, the Alcatraz swim, San Francisco Bay. Um, and I don't know what that is, uh, Fahrenheit. It's 58. What is that, like 15 or 16 Celsius? Something like that, yes. Something like that. Um, but I figure I can probably hang in there for maybe an hour and a half in really cold water just because, you know, we, we don't have really an option here in Texas to train, you know, um, outdoors in cold water you know, here. So I usually just, um, you know, I think, I think the perfect temperature is, is right there. And, um, in, uh, Southern Australia, you know, and there in, uh, January, uh, swimming off Bondi beach is just the perfect temperature for me. You know, no, no wetsuit. Yes, that's right. We'll have, we'll have to get you down here to Melbourne to do our big, um, Peter pub swim down at lawn, which is, a uh, I love I've been, I've been to Melbourne. It's beautiful. I'd love to come back. Yes. Yeah. Well, we didn't, obviously with COVID, it didn't run this year, but usually it's a, a huge swim and really well attended by lots of, um, lots of swimmers. I don't know. What's yeah, the temperature of the water down there? It's obviously colder than Sydney. Yeah, a little bit colder. In, in January, maybe around 17 degrees, 18 oh, degrees. No, no problem. No problem. <laughs> Yeah. Piece of cake. But, yeah, I think that's pretty nice. <laughs> when we were in lockdown, we, we were actually swimming in our – we have um, Port Phillip Bay, which sort of sort of goes around the edge of Melbourne, um, and we were swimming in there at 9 degrees. It was 9 degrees Celsius in the middle of our lockdown. That's pretty cold. <laughs> that was cold. But I must admit we were, we were using wetsuits. <laughs> and yeah, neoprene. well, I probably – yeah. Yeah, that's probably a little too cold for me to not wear a wetsuit. Yes. <laughs> well, Jim, thank you so much for joining us today. It's been wonderful talking to you and hearing about your swimming story and um, your involvement in master swimming and even your involvement, your lifelong involvement with swimming. It's been a pleasure. Um, I wish you all the best of luck and best wishes moving forwards and thank you for joining us today. My pleasure. Thank you. Okay. Bye now. Bye-bye. Thank you, Bob. Thank you for listening in today. We hope you're enjoying our podcast here at Torpedo Swim Talk. Don't forget to subscribe at Apple or Spotify so you never miss an episode. Like, rate, share, and spread the word. Till next time, goodbye and happy swimming. <laughs>